Welcome everyone to Andy Here's the 70s, the show where we try and find the absolute best albums from the 1970s. I'm your host Andy, and this week we're closing out this little prog rock section of the season with a sampling of albums from all across the globe. But I'm not doing this alone, of course. Joining me, as always, the man who actually became fluent in Kobayan to prepare for this episode, Aaron Keck, how are you? Uh, I'm really, really good, Andy, and I would say that in uh, uh, in that fake language, but uh, you know, I I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to lose our listeners. No, yeah, you don't want to be pretentious. I understand. Yeah, of course not. Yeah, <laughs> why why be pretentious in a prog rock episode? <laughs> no, that's the last. Just thing completely you want. defeat the purpose. <laughs> uh, well, you know, prog rock is such a UK centric genre. It seems in the last two episodes we heard two of the biggest prog rock acts from the UK, but I also know that it's not the only country making the experimental genre-bending rock and roll. Uh, so this week we have five albums from five different countries, and very specifically not the UK, not the US, not even Canada or Australia. I tried to cover a good variety of music uh, here, and I feel like if there's one area we could improve on, it's uh, which, uh, you know, maybe there's many, but if there's one area we can improve, I think it's covering artists from countries outside of the US and UK, and so this seemed like a good opportunity. And, you know, clearly it extended even to outside this uh, galaxy <laughs> for some sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly, like, even outside Europe, too. Like, you think about, like, oh, where do you go if it's not the U.S. or the U.K. or Canada? Like, oh, other European countries are the first thing that you think of, maybe, but not in this case. Like, we're, we're branching outside. We're branching outside Europe, too. Yeah. You know, I had kind of a fun time putting together a list of artists from other countries, which I then narrowed down to these five, which I think each brings something unique to the table. Uh, do you have any kind of general thoughts about them before we dive into the albums? I don't have a thought so much as a question. Walk mm-hmm. us through the process that led you to choose these five artists in particular, because some of these I was looking up online and it's very difficult to find very much information at all about a couple of these bands. So I'm curious as to how you found them in the first place and then, and then decided this is an artist that should be in the top five when you're putting together this episode. So what I did first was I just, I knew that I wanted to kind of do this kind of prog rock grab bag. Uh, so at first I was just looking at lists of, you know, best prog rock albums of the 70s, whatever. And so at first I had a very general list that included still a lot of US and UK artists. And then as I was kind of narrowing that down, I was like, oh, that'd be inter- it'd be interesting to do ones that are not from the UK. And so then I started to look at those. And then I saw, uh, you know, a lot of ones that were still from Europe. And then I was like, okay, well then what if I search, you know, prog rock Asia, prog rock Africa, and then started to see people mentioning different artists. And so that sort of led me down different rabbit holes uh, there's one re- website that I've ended up at a lot called progarchive.com, which had a lot of people uh, commenting on various prog rock from, from across the world. That So that became kind of a resource for me. And so it was a lot of lists, a lot of blogs, just trying to look and trying to kind of force myself outside of what the normal mold of uh, you know some of these lists would be. And I think then once it narrowed down to these five, I wanted to pick you know five sort of very different sounding albums, different areas of the world. And then, uh, you know, just I think these are five that don't have a ton of overlap with each other, but still uh, all can be recognizable as this sort of broader prog rock genre, I think. Or at least influenced by, right? Yeah, certainly. But first up, let's go ahead and travel to the Netherlands to hear from the band Focus, formed in 1969 by Tish van Leer on keys. Uh, vocals and flute with fellow jazz enthusiast Hans Kluver on drums, Martin Dresden on bass. Shortly thereafter, guitarist Jan Ackerman joined them as well. Uh, they decided on the name Focus because, to paraphrase how Ackerman put it in a 1974 interview, it's a word that's the same in many languages and also means concentration, which is uh, the meaning of what they do as a band. Uh, they got a steady gig as the pit band for the Dutch production of the musical Hair from December of 69 to June of 1970, in the middle of which they recorded their first album, Focus Plays Focus, released internationally as In and Out of Focus, which they had uh, to spend several months shopping around before it was finally released in the fall of 1970 on Imperial Records in Europe and on Sire Records in the U.S., which our listeners might recognize as the future home of Madonna and the replacements, uh, signed by Seymour Stein himself after seeing them perform in the Netherlands. And so by the time they get to working on their follow-up, Kluver and Dresden are out of the band, replaced by Cyril Havermans on bass, Pierre Vanderlind 
Clifton on drums. And that second album is the one we'll hear today, Focus 2, released internationally as Moving Waves in October of 71. Take a listen to a little bit of the single Hocus Pocus, and we'll discuss that record. This is the song that actually kind of broke through for the band. It reached number nine on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And I was actually tipped off to this one by my dad, who mentioned it to me when I told him we were doing this international episode. Uh, what do you think of uh, Hocus Pocus by Focus? I liked Focus's Hocus Pocus. Um, <laughs> and so does everyone else. Like I'm, I, I'm listening to these albums on Spotify, and Spotify's got this nice uh, list for each individual band of which songs are they've, they've got the top 10 list of which songs are the most streamed or the most streamed like in the last month or i don't know exactly how they make up these lists but mm-hmm. uh hocus pocus uh constitutes three of focus's top four songs <laughs> uh there's the hocus pocus extended version which is the album version there's the hocus pocus original single version which is half the length and then there's a 2010 remix of focus's hocus pocus uh which which is number four so it's safe to say that hocus pocus is focuses locus when it comes to uh when it comes to its its enduring popularity (laughs) yes i think that's fair to say uh and i did think you know as soon as i heard this song i was like okay i feel confident not many other uh, albums are going to have this much yodeling on them so i think this will be a good one to talk about Okay, so here's the thing. I was looking up uh, Focus's Hocus Pocus, and uh, there's the yodeling, but there's also that little like weird section in the middle where they're doing some odd vocal thing that isn't yodeling but mm-hmm. seems related. Uh, this is a vocal uh, practice called efing, which I had not heard of because I was not too familiar with the TV show Hee Haw. But that uh-huh. sent me down a rabbit hole of like 1960s novelty songs featuring efing as a key component, of which there's a lot. Um, and I say this only to to point out that there are just a lot of very bizarre rabbit holes that you can go down on YouTube, and this song sent me down one of them. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll definitely it 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 itself does contain you know the leads for a number of rabbit holes. I feel like, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think this is a cool song. I think it's very fun. I think the album in general is pretty fun. Uh, I think they are very solid musicians. Certainly, you can tell that their focus is paying off. I think. Um, but, and then you of course get your big long song at the end with eruption, the the 23 minute, uh, song, which has movements about, uh, Orpheus and Eurydice, uh, not to be confused with like the minute and a half Van Halen song eruption, which is very different, but, right. uh, 
yeah i think i think this in general was pretty fun uh, what did you think of the album in general yeah i thought it was i thought it was fun i definitely think so hocus pocus is the opening song and eruption is the last song and those mm-hmm. are clearly the highlights and there's four songs in the middle which are kind of forgettable i think but those two songs uh, at the top and bottom are really good. I have absolutely no idea how Eruption connects to the Orpheus Eurydice <laughs> myth. I'm super happy for them that they think it does. <laughs> right. uh, I don't. I don't know, but I'm I'm good with them for for thinking it does. The one uh, the one cool thing about Hocus Pocus, which I should not know because I'm not an anime fan per se, but my ex-roommate was and i sat down with him for a couple of weeks weeks and watched the entire uh series trigun um which has a really cool intro song it's an instrumental intro song um which is again easily look upable if you don't know if you don't know that anime but as soon as I started listening to Hocus Pocus. I'm like, oh, this is the Trigun theme. Like, it's clearly the the Trigun theme is clearly uh, a takeoff of Hocus Pocus. And then you look up the Trigun theme online, and you find a whole bunch of people talking about how it's a riff on this particular Led Zeppelin song. And in fact, no, it's not a riff off of this particular Led Zeppelin song. It's a takeoff on Hocus Pocus. And the only reason people are saying it's a Led Zeppelin is because they don't know focus. And if they did, they would get where it comes from. That's funny. I'm going to, I have to look yeah. it up because I, I definitely watched that back in the day when it was on like Cartoon Network. But, uh, and obviously that was long enough ago that I <laughs> don't remember exactly how the theme song goes. And so it didn't, I didn't connect it with Hocus Pocus, but that's, that's a good, uh, little Easter egg, I think. If you, if you listen to it, you'll, you'll get it. It's like, it's the, it's just one riff. It's the bow, 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 like that is uh-huh. the, is the takeoff. Well, of course, you have the, uh, it's one of its contemporaries, Cowboy Bebop, uh, having a lot of classic rock influence as well, in, in yep, not just yep. the music, but the episode titles too. So that's funny that there's like this little era of anime that <laughs> that has this distinct 70s classic rock influence. <laughs> because why not, right? Yeah, right, why not? Uh, but yeah, I, I, you also have, of course, their song Janice, a tribute to Janice Joplin, who died the year prior. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the only, I f- like you kind of mentioned it too, the only notable thing about the songs in between Hocus Pocus and Eruption. I don't think that the ones, there's nothing bad in between necessarily, but they are a little forgettable, uh, you know, in between those tentpole songs. Uh, but yeah, next up, we travel to Argentina for our next album. Uh, Latin America during this time is uh, tumultuous, to say the least. Many Central and South American countries are run by dictators. Military coups are happening. Civil protests are met with violent resistance. Some countries go as far as to literally ban rock and roll during this time. Uh, There's a very cool documentary miniseries on Netflix called Break It All that interviews a ton of artists from Latin America during this time that I recommend watching, uh, including the front man of the band we're going to listen to now, Arco Iris. Uh, founded in 1968 in Buenos Aires by Gustavo Santaolala on guitar and vocals with Altar uh, Tocatlian on wind instruments, Guillermo Bordorampe on bass, Alberto Casino on drums, later replaced by Horatio Gianello. Uh, their unique blend of jazz, folk, and rock gets them signed to RCA Records, and they released self-titled debut in 1969, along with a compilation of early singles in 1970. Uh, in 72, they released two albums, Tiempo de Resurrección and the one we're going to discuss today, Sudamerica o el Regreso a la Aurora. We'll play a little bit of La Canción de Nahuel, and then we'll discuss the album.
So naturally, I have to start, of course, by asking that one important question. This is a double album. Do you think it needed to be? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this could have been an EP. Wow. Yeah, I was it, I was not a fan. And it's sad because there are 27 songs on this album. There are as many good songs on this album as there are on any of the other albums that we're going to be talking about in this episode. It's just that all of those other albums have like six or seven songs total, and this has 27. So to get to the good stuff, you need to get through a lot. And I was not a fan of the lot. I think for me, this one kind of, uh, I liked it a little bit more every time. I think it it had, maybe because it is so long and so dense, that there's a, there, there were little things I found each time that it ended up growing on me a lot. Uh, I like how many times. Okay, I think we've talked about this before, but like, how many times do you listen to an album? Because I'll give it, I'll give each album a once through. Oh, I I listen to each of them at least four or five times. Okay, but sometimes if I really dislike it, I won't give it that many. But if for the most part, I'll give every album at least four listens. This one, I think. Yeah, I thought for the most part, I thought for the most part, this album was fine. It just definitely does not need to be as long as it is. <laughs> it was, you know, there were a few times, especially on the first couple of listens, where I'm looking at it like, oh boy, I'm not even halfway through yet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think by the end, you know, like I said, I kind of en- it ended up growing on me a lot. Uh, I like that it starts with a little overture, you know, with some themes that are going to pop back up throughout the album. And so then the more you hear those, the more you're kind of, I, I found myself anticipating the different themes popping back up. Uh, you get, uh, there's a couple big long ones. I mean, the, the overture is almost 13 minutes long. And then you have um, on what is, or what would be disc two, you have the song Ombre, or as it's right. uh, sometimes credited, like on iTunes, they call it Busco a Dios en mi y el uh, en sol. So it has, there's a couple, I think, uh, different titles, depending on where you're looking at this. But And one thing I did, one thing that did help narrow down these five to what they are is that they were all available as streaming, which was important, I think, because I think everybody out there should be able to listen to these too. But uh, but yeah, I ended up liking the big long song, Ombre, I like, and really all the little songs. One of the favorites actually for me was one of the shorter ones, um, track 10, uh, Los Campesinos y El Vallero. I like that one, yeah. That's a cool song. That was one of the that was one of the 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 three that I that I noted as being particularly good. Uh, Hira is good. Hoya Vista al Rey, mm-hmm. uh, and in the towards the end of the album, Persecución de los Peregrinos. Um, that one, that particular song, like really rocks. I like that one at the towards the end. Yeah, and wanted the rest of the album to to rock as hard as that one did, and the rest of the album just kind of doesn't. But. Uh-huh. Uh, Yeah, I mean, clearly a clearly a good band, good good musicianship, like capable of doing really good stuff. I I would have dialed back the number of songs. <laughs> I think it's funny too that um, I, from what I could tell from that, uh, I think it was I don't know if it was mentioned in that documentary or something I read, but there was a little bit of a sense when this band was starting up that you know they were a little too folky for the rock fans and a little too rocking for the folk fans and i so could I see that yeah there there was a sense i think early on that this that they were not embraced by everybody but then this album in particular seemed to kind of rise over time and to be a very uh well-regarded uh album especially in just the canon of latin american music but uh they uh basically all they were all living in like a commune together in argentina uh, they were still straight edge though, so this is uh, 
they were not using maybe the psychedelics and stuff that other of their peers were, uh, but you still get a very kind of, I don't know, very earthy psychedelic story here. I haven't translated every lyric, but, you know, based on the song titles, you get some characters, the master, the scholar, Nahuel, Amanke, and then one of the, one of the users over at Prague Archives, Crimson87, summarizes the story as six men going on a mystical trip around the subcontinent looking for salvation among the hills. So, I mean, you get sort of a grand concept running through this, which I think, uh, even just musically, I think you can kind of sense that. Mm-hmm. And of course, after hearing uh, Peter Gabriel pretending to be a Latin American man on Land Lies Down on Broadway, I think it was still still appropriate to play, <laughs> play some music from some actual Latin American men. Actual African uh, Latin American bands, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I ended up liking this one a lot. I think this was kind of an interesting uh, record that grew on me. Um, and I think the musicianship was still really good. Like you said, I think there were certainly times where maybe I wished it rocked a little harder, but... Uh, I kind of liked the variety of it too. I think they have good examples of all the styles they're pulling from here. Uh, but they would release two more albums before Gustavo would leave the band to pursue other, other projects. The rest of the group would relocate to California and release six more albums without him, trending more in a jazzy new age direction as they went on. Uh, but Santa Olala himself, in addition to putting out solo material and working with other artists, would become a composer as well. He composed music for the first four films of Alejandro Gonzalez in Ritu, uh, as well as the music for Brokeback Mountain, and composed uh, the music for the video games Last of Us, parts one and two, as well as the music for the upcoming HBO series based on those, uh, which is kind of a cool little awesome. <laughs> second act for him. Yeah. But uh, we take a trip now over to France uh, to receive some transmissions from the planet Kobaya, as performed by the band Magma. Founded in Paris in 1969 by percussionist Christian Vander, it's a group formed with dozens of different members over the years, cataloged thoroughly on their Wikipedia page. I'm not going to go through all of them here, but <laughs> every few months it seemed like they're adding more members and some were leaving. But uh, their sound is definitely a unique one. Vander claims John Coltrane as a direct influence. Carl Orff, the composer of Carmina Burana, is also a name that comes up a lot. Uh, so this is a group rich with classical and jazz influence, all filtered through this hard rock lens. And as I alluded to, their lyrics are entirely in Kobayan, the fictional language created by Vander. And their unique genre, Zul, comes from a Kobayan word referring to grand celestial sounds. Uh, Vander claims that French was not expressive enough to convey what uh, he was going for with this music. So he came up with this kind of vaguely Germanic emotive dialect that would appear on each one of their albums. All their music, for the most part, relates in some way to the planet of Kobayan. Uh, he also says the language is really more about emotion and feeling rather than being able to directly translate each word. But uh, they released their self-titled album, 1970, uh, later, later retitled Kobayaf, uh, followed by 1001 Degrees Centigrade or Magma 2 in 1971. Then they expand their sound with a choir of women led by Christian's wife, Stella Vander, for their operatic third album, the one we're going to hear today, Mechanic Destructive Commando released in April of 73 on Vertigo Records in France, A&M and the rest of the world. Play a little bit of the second song, Ima Suri Dondai, and then we'll discuss that rock, that album. Oh, baby. 
What are you making me listen to? <laughs> like I, I do have to say, I think when I was listening when I was listening to this one, uh, stressful is the word that uh, came to mind most. I think. This is... <laughs> I was trying to figure out what this album reminded me of, or how I would describe it to people, mm-hmm. and it took me a little while to come up with what I think is the answer. Uh, But what I finally hit on is that this album and this band sounds like what would happen if Frank Zappa did a parody of an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. (laughs) That's a pretty good description, I think. Is that accurate? That that's that's what I've come to. Yeah, I think. uh, Yeah, I I think I can see that. And then when people started saying like throwing out Carmina Baran, especially with this the, uh, the choir in this one, I could hear that too. But yeah, it is sort of like this weird amped up uh you know zappa i think is a good comparison for the for the kind of rock vibe that they give it but this is <laughs> it's funny because this is one of the ones that showed up on a lot of lists even before i started looking for specific countries and so i was like okay this is probably going to be interesting and yeah uh, like i said it's a very stressful listen <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if it's something i would throw on too often but i mean it's interesting i like looking up this uh looking up this album looking up this band i saw it too on a bunch of lists and i think was it rolling stone had it as one of the 50 best rock albums in french history and like and it's you know like top 40 of all time of all of the 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 rock music that's come out of france this is one of the top 40 albums of all time according to the rolling according to rolling stone and i'm like what has france been doing in the last 50 <laughs> this is why We've focused so heavily on the U.S. and the U.K. because I think rock music is such an American, like an Anglo-American genre, Mm -hmm. like initially American and then kind of expands. And then you get the British invasion and like a couple of other mostly English language countries are the ones that kind of piggyback off of what starts in the U.S. and the the early to mid 20th century and there's not as much that comes out of France for instance and like case in point here's Magma which I'm gonna say is bad um <laughs> I don't know if you agree with that I did not like this at all but it's it's top 40 according to Rolling Stone so there you go you and know, like the the album's ahead of it I'm like I don't know who any of these guys are either mm-hmm. yeah I think uh, you know, I don't know that I can fully call it bad necessarily, but it's not necessarily my my. It's very cup well of tea, made. But... Like the musicianship yeah. is good. You can tell like the jazz influences, the prog mm-hmm. rock influences. They're really good at their at, at at the instruments that they're playing. They're very talented and skilled. They clearly have a vision, uh, which which already puts them several up on most other bands that are out there. But yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it's definitely a percussionist album. I mean, it has a complex driving rhythm to the whole thing. Uh, the rhythm section sounds great, I think. But it it is also, you know, like 30 or 40 minutes of variations on kind of the same theme, too. So I think it also gets a little repetitive, too, compared to uh, some of the other stuff, you know. But uh, it, it's also, I have a bad habit, it seems like, of... Uh, Whenever I'm driving and like the weather turns bad, I'm always listening to the exact wrong music for that situation. And this was another time where <laughs> I, I was out driving and it started just dumping rain on me while this song, <laughs> this album's blaring. I'm like, this is not helping the situation. Uh, this is also why you think the album is stressful. Like the album itself <laughs> is very calm and pleasant. You were just driving in Atlanta in the rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The last time that happened to me uh, was a a long time ago, at least 10 years ago, I was, we were, I was leaving, just watching a movie. I don't even remember what movie it was, but it started hailing outside, but I was listening to Bitches Brew in the car. And there was <laughs> another time where like, this is the exact wrong music for this situation. I'm, I, I felt like I wanted to pull over. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, we mentioned the Cobion language. I think that is, that's something that persists on all their albums. Uh, Stella from here on out remains a prominent vocalist for the group. Uh, they re- released five more albums after this before breaking up in 84. Uh, but then they would reunite in 2004, release six more studio albums, the most recent being Zess in 2019. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously a very successful act, um, which influenced, I think, a lot of other artists that kind of stayed in this. Or the, You know, the, they claim this Zool genre. I didn't listen to any other ones from, from that genre, but I can imagine 
you know, you, you still, and there's obviously other artists that still will make up their own languages, right? I mean, they don't sound anything alike, but Sigur Ross is a band that has uh, created a fictional language for most of their songs. So I think there is a legacy here that uh, maybe you can point to them, but obviously not, maybe not a catalog I'm personally going to dig into much after this. But. Right. Uh, but but I'm glad that other people are. Yeah, you know, to each their own. I think I'm happy this is out there for for people that want it. But and that's what this episode's about: finding very five very different albums. I feel like, and so none none of the other uh, countries were putting this out. I also think it's funny that, uh, uh, you know, I don't speak French, uh, but I do find it to be a very, pretty expressive language. Uh, I think you can contain a lot of emotion. Maybe not the emotions they're going for necessarily, but I think it's funny that his reason for creating this was that French just couldn't express what he wanted to. Well, if you want to create stressful music. German's probably the language you start with, and if <laughs> yeah. German isn't stressful enough for you, then maybe you just like add a couple umlauts and and X's and Z's, and, and yeah. you got your language. That's definitely true. I, there are that's a very uh, German. Having taken German in high school, even that that can be a very stressful sounding language, even if you're not intending it to be. So, yeah. Uh, but now we uh, journey towards the east, uh, the far east, in fact, uh, to the far east family band out of Japan. Uh, an embryonic version of this band called Far Out formed in 1972, released one album, 1973's Nihonjin, before multi-instrumentalist and producer Fumio Miyashita would recruit a new group of musicians, which would become the Far East Family Band. Hirohito Fukushima on vocals and guitar, Akira Fuka Fukakasa on bass, Shizuo Takasaki on drums, and Masanori Takahashi, also known as simply Kitaro, on keyboards and percussion. Together, they released The Cave Down to Earth in 1975, the album we're going to discuss today. We'll play a little bit of the song Birds Flying to the Cave Down to the Earth, and then we'll discuss that record. Glad you picked this song. This is a highlight. This one, I think, you know, a lot of uh, people refer to this group as the Japanese Pink Floyd, which I think is not inaccurate. I think the guitar has kind of a very David Gilmore quality. I think this song in general, it's, you know, the second track on here kind of, I think, kicks it off on the right foot. It's a pretty good rock song, I think. Again, I'm listening to these albums on Spotify, so I can look on Spotify and see how many plays the top 10 songs for each band are getting and the far east family band of the five bands that we're listening to the far east family band is easily the least popular or least listened to band of these five on spotify and i think that's sad i think this band is a really or this album at least is really good prog rock i think mm -hmm. the comparison to pink floyd i think is apt um it doesn't like it's not a hard rocking album, but it's got a clear vision. It's definitely in that genre. It's a really good example of the genre. And I think if, if anyone is a prog rock fan with who, you know, hopefully you are if you're listening to this episode, or at least you you appreciate it enough to sit here listening to an episode about five 
obscure prog rock bands, yeah. uh, this is one that you should go for if you haven't already. Like I, I appreciate this this band a lot. Yeah, I thought this was pretty cool, and and yeah, they they are probably they're probably the last one I added to this list just because there did have fewer people talking about it, and that's when I specifically started searching out Asian prog rock bands. Um, but yeah, this is a really cool, I mean, obviously I'm a big Pink Floyd fan. So I think having them be what people claim is the Japanese Pink Floyd, I think that works for me for sure. Uh, the guitars sound great and all the instruments sound great on this album. And I think, uh, it has a good, it's a good flow of an album in general, good song sequence. It ebbs and flows in kind of a rock and less rock, uh, you know, type of style. You get more kind of earthy themes again with like the God of wind, God of water, uh, and then I, I kind of like the little bit in the middle too, the moving, looking, trying, jumping into wah wah. I think that's a, that's a pretty fun, just like two minute, almost like a break in, in the album. Wah wah is a highlight for me. It's a minute long. It's <laughs> less than a minute long. I loved it. Yeah. Frank. I think this is just a really and, fun and it's album. and it's perfect. Like the the problem with prog rock for me, or a problem with prog rock for me is when a band gets into a song and they don't, and the song doesn't really go anywhere. Like there's mm-hmm. no, there's no rise and fall. It's just kind of flat and consistent, but they're just playing for 11 straight minutes and they really could cut it down to four without losing anything. Wawa gets in, makes its point and gets out. Like uh-huh. that's, that's good for me. And uh, you know, you have the big long song at the end, Transmigration, which is, right. is 11 minutes. But and it did kind of remind me of Echoes, the Pink Floyd song. But I mean, mm. at half the length, you know, it's kind of a more concise version of uh, of uh, Echoes, which is funny to say about an eleven-minute song. But I think it, it did a good job. <laughs> and Wawa goes into Mystery of Northern Space, which is itself pretty long at six minutes, but is also uh, a highlight of the album for me. Yeah, this is. Yeah, I think this is good. You know, for what is ostensibly their first album, uh, at least with this name. It, they start off on the right foot. I think this is a very complete sounding record. You know, it doesn't really sound like their first go at something. You know, I think it has a good, it has good theming throughout the, me- there's melodies that uh, come up and reappear. And really, yeah, I think it still sounds great too. It doesn't really sound like a 50 year old album. Which it almost is at this point. You didn't even think about these as being fifty-year-old albums. Like, <laughs> same thing with Pink Floyd. Yeah. Like if the a lot of these albums, like if they came out today, they probably wouldn't be like huge hits, but they would fit into what I was saying. The 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 other really like interesting thing about just like the way that music has progressed in the last fifty years is if you think about like music from the fifties, very little of it would make sense if it were released today, and then you go up through like the mid 60s and like sometime around 1964 65 66 that's when i think just the the pop and rock music field hit on what the sound of rock and pop music should be and from that point on mm-hmm. everything that comes out is at least contemporary enough that you could release a lot of, like a lot of the music that comes out in the late 60s or early 70s, you could release that music today and it, would, it wouldn't it would sound out of place, right? It would sound contemporary enough. Like, yeah, that fits in. Maybe it's a little bit retro sounding, but it, it fits in. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like you go just a few years earlier, like 1961, 62, 63, like nothing from that period would make sense today if it got released, but... Yeah. Then the Beatles and the Stones and Zeppelin and the Who and all of these bands like all emerge at the same time within 10 miles of each other in London and uh and yeah, it's it's that from there on out. Yeah, it's funny to think about just how rapidly the rock and roll landscape changed like during this time, you know, in the 60s yeah. and 70s it just like yeah, it made music that would still all this time later sound fairly contemporary whereas yeah, just a few years earlier playing that now sounds like the oldest music that existed right <laughs> like exactly it's pretty yeah. wild and i think you can get that sense from other countries too because uh you know you hear their you hear the influence of those major bands i mean all of like you know even going back to the south american bands they had a definite uh beatles influence in a lot of their early uh a lot of the early music scene there uh and same with uh ones we're going to get to later but they all kind of then take that and build it in a different direction. And now this is in the seventies. I think you start to see that's kind of what's cool about all five of these is you see they all started from a similar place and have then taken it 
all to somewhere that's very different. And I think, yeah. Uh, which is kind of impressive. and and yeah, like a ton of different directions you go. Like you start with you start with like the 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 very earliest influences for rock music and R and B music, and you can trace all of the music from the the seventies and the eighties back to kind of those same couple few original influences. But it's just this explosion in a thousand different directions that all sound very different from each other, but all sound contemporary. Mm-hmm. I think too, it's part of part of opening it up to more people being able to play that, right? I mean, to to see yeah. part of what the I think was influential about the Beatles and and other bands of, of them, but especially the Beatles is like it, you just see four kids up there with their instruments. And you're like, oh wait, no, it's sort of the same thing with punk rock. A couple of years later, you'd be like, oh, anybody can do this, right? The you know yeah. people are in love with the Beatles because they're little cute little mop top boys also. But you think you also then everybody else is looking at them like, oh, I can just get a guitar and write a song. Like I don't have to have a big band behind me. I don't have to learn how to how to conduct. Like there's it is such a shift in popular music that I think that's it. It helps spread it across the world in a way where it just makes it more accessible. But yeah, and <laughs> we've kind of gotten away from the Far East Family Band. But yeah, they're all ex- exceptional musicians <laughs> that uh, that have kind of taken more of what's what's kind of coming out of of the UK and, and other scenes, and then putting their own spin on it, which I think works really well. Uh, they would release their second album, Nippon Jin, in 1975, followed by Parallel World in 76, after which Kataro leaves the group to pursue solo projects, and they release their final album in 77, Teku Jin. Uh, Kitaro would actually go on to be a practically perennial Best New Age album nominee in the Grammys between 87 and 2017, winning in 1999 for his album Thinking of You. Uh, but for our final album of the episode, we travel to Nigeria for the music of the Lejadu sisters. Uh, Nigeria around this time was also experiencing some great conflict. Nigerian civil war in 67 as the Biafra Republic attempted to secede from Nigeria, resulting in a brutal three-year conflict. As Nigeria rebuilt in the 70s, many people took solace in music, resulting in an incredible surge of excellent rock and roll, uh, the story of which is cataloged in a two-volume book and CD set called Wake Up You, The Rise and Fall of Nigerian Rock, released by Now Again Records in 2016. Uh, the books of those are written by Uchenna Ikone and tell the story of a lot of different artists during this tumultuous time in Nigeria, artists like the hikers, the funkies, the high grades, and of course, one person uh, who kind of shows up a lot in these and put Nigerian music on the map for many people, Fela Kuti, who paved the way for a lot of these artists. Uh, he was also the second cousin to a pair of twins, Tyro and Kehende Lijadu, who began their musical careers as backing vocalists during the 60s and into the 70s, even singing at the 72 Olympic Games in Munich with the Ginger Baker Project Salt. And then in 1976, they released their debut full-length, Danger. I'll play a little bit of the title track, and then we'll discuss that album. So when I asked you up top how you found these five bands, this is the one that I was really thinking of more than the others. Not because it's the most obscure, because it's definitely not, mm-hmm. uh, but it, because it's the least prog rock of the five. Like, I could not find any 
source online that either described this album as prog rock or that listed this band as a prog rock band. Yeah, I think this is, you know, of the five, this is the least kind of classically prog of them. But I think there's enough experimentation and genre blending. I feel like it still fits in with the overall prog rock canon, I feel like. And plus, I mean, the shortest song is still four minutes. So there's still, they like to stretch out a song too. (laughs) I'm glad we've hit on like the primary feature (laughs) of progressive rock music here. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good guitar solos on here as well. Uh, but yeah, I think in general, you know, just kind of the experimentation here, I think is really interesting. And, you know, at the very least, when I searched African 70s prog rock, this was at least mentioned, uh, <laughs> you know, tangentially related to it. But yeah, uh, this, okay. uh, I think in general, and especially, you know, those two compilation albums I mentioned, the uh, the Rise Up You, they have a lot of cool 70s rock sound. Uh, a, not, not all of those artist catalog are available outside of those compilations, whereas the Jadu Sisters, you can actually find their whole catalog online still now. Um, so that was another reason why I p- wanted to pick them. But, but yeah, I think they have, you know, they... They blend a lot of rock, reggae, Afrobeat. I think they have cool vocal harmonies. What do you think of the Lajadu Sisters in general? Oh, I thought it was great. Like this is this is probably my favorite of the of the five. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because it's not really a prog rock album. Like more disco, more Afrobeat, like more genres that I'm like tend to be more into in the first place. So mm-hmm. this is more my music than than the other four albums. But yeah, I think I think the Legato Sisters are fantastic. Yeah. I think this album in particular, like the it it starts strong and then kind of wanes at the end. There's only six songs on the album. I think the first four are great and then mm-hmm. it kind of goes downhill for the last two. But those first four are uh, are fantastic and unlike Arco Iris that is two-thirds of the album as opposed to Arco Iris which also has four really good songs <laughs> which is barely 20% of the album yeah, right. so yeah uh, yeah I think this is they you know even you know with these six songs they get in they get out right even with, yeah even with those last two being not quite as good as the first four uh, you know it doesn't take up that so much of your time that you even get to dwell on it by the time you're done the record yep. but yeah, I think they, they have a really cool sound. I think another reason I chose them, I and mean, we don't get a lot of women-fronted bands in this uh, category, which I think uh, is something to highlight here. But uh, yeah, they, they have a great backing band as well on this. I think they all sound really good. Um, the Sisters harmonizing. I think there's something about, in general, like when when people who are related are singing together, I think they have a unique uh, harmony that uh, that works really well. But uh, they're back, yeah. backing There's also just like... Go ahead. Oh no, go 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 ahead. I just wanted to call out the musicians, the backing backing band: Ade uh, Joelasso on bass, Johnny Shitu on keys, and Biddy Wright, who did the guitar, sax, and drums. I believe he also produced the album. But yeah, so, solid backing band that they're singing with too. There's also just so much joy in this album, which is is missing from a lot of the others. Like this is the <laughs> album that you sort of switched out Magma for when you were driving in the rain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that would have been the move. I think that would have <laughs> settled me down a lot more. But yeah, and I think part of that life's gone down low, but you know we're still gonna be happy. Yeah, about that's it. one of my favorite songs on there too. I think that. Oh yeah, that it has such a great groove. Uh, their vocals sound great. Yeah, there's there is a lot of joy on this record, which I think is important, especially for the time. I mean, that's what a lot of people turn to music for, uh, you know, as they're rebuilding this country. Uh, you know, you don't want to, even though life's gone down low, right? And there's danger all around. I mean, these are still joyous songs that uh, that you can celebrate uh, rather than just like you know, toil and and <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the as opposed to the magma style of like, let's just get everybody real stressed out (laughs) but but yeah this was another one this album i think was one of my favorites too uh it probably because it was you know it's different than these other five even though they're all all five of these are different but i think like you said it brings a lot of joy it has a lot of excitement to it and it's something that uh you know is something you might not have heard otherwise all of these i wouldn't have heard otherwise but especially having sought these out i'm glad that i found this one because now i'm going to seek out their other four albums too i think this is a catalog that i'm glad is still around Uh, but like i would mention they released three more studio albums together after this along with a 1984 compilation of some of their older recordings called double trouble before relocating permanently to nyc uh, they apparently had some potential recording contracts in the works in the U.S., but sadly none of them came to fruition. But they continued to perform 
and in 2010, their four studio LPs were reissued by Knitting Factory Records, which helped them still be available today. They're on iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp. You can find them pretty much anywhere you want. Uh, that's part of why I chose them, of course. It's nice to actually have the full catalog available. Uh, but then tragically, in November of 2019, Kahinde passed away after a stroke at the age of 71, survived by her sister Taiwo still. Uh, five very different albums, of course, on the show today. Difficult to rank, I think, but uh, we have to try, of course. So, Aaron, why don't you kick us off with your rankings of these five? We'll see how, how similar we have them. I did not find these difficult to rank. <laughs> um, so, number five, Magma. No mm-hmm. surprise there. I I thought it was pretentious and not very good. <laughs> uh, number four, Arco Iris. Uh, not because it was bad, but because it was overlong. Like, there is just as much high-quality stuff on Sudamerica as there is on any of the other albums that we've covered. It's just, it's a double album that does not need to be. So, uh, I'll ding it a couple points for that. Uh, number three is Focus, which has a great fun song up top and then Eruption down at the bottom, which is uh, which are both really good, high-quality, worthwhile songs that are worth digging into, and then kind of the forgettable four songs in the middle. Uh, number two, Far East Family Band, which I think is the best actual prog rock album that we're covering this week. Uh, and then number one is the Lajader Sisters, which for me is not really a prog rock album, so kind of hard to compare with the other four, but definitely the one I like the best. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that we, we have a couple similarities here. So number my number five as well is Magma's MDK. I think that was still, like, like I said, too stressful. It, it was freaking me out. I wasn't going to listen to that one probably <laughs> ever again. <laughs> but uh, number four for me, I have Moving Waves, the Focus album. Um, mm-hmm. mostly, I mean, because, you know, it has the great first song, great last song, but it is kind of forgettable in the middle. Uh, from number three, I have the Far East family bands cave down to earth. Uh, yeah, great, you know, great prog rock, great Pink Floyd esque sound. Uh, number two for me is danger. The Lajado sisters, which means for me, number one ended up being Arco Iris pseudo America. It, it grew on me enough that I was like, I'm, uh, I think this is, I don't know. I, I ended up liking it a lot. I found more and more to like each time. And I think it's something that that's going to grow on me even more still. But I mean, that, that may well be like when I was making my, when I was making my song list, which we'll get to in a second, like we've, we've got our top five, like we'll talk about our top five, but when I was making like narrowing it down, like by the time I got to the top 10, there were more Arco Iris songs in the top 10 than any other band. So mm-hmm. like they, they've got a lot of high quality stuff in there. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, it could, it could possibly get diluted by some of the, the length of the album. It is almost a hundred minutes that album, but all right. Well, what are your top five? What'd you end up narrowing it down to? So lots of Arco Iris in my top 10, but only one in my top five. And it is number five, uh, Hira or Hoya Vista Array, depending on what source you're looking at. Okay. is my number five uh with persecution de los peregrinos as as honorable mention that's the one that just missed my top five i think it's a really good song it rocks but uh here is a little bit better mm-hmm. uh number four is lejado sisters with cashing in Uh, I put Hocus Pocus, Focus is Hocus Pocus at number three. Okay. Um, I think it's a really good song. It's definitely the most memorable. It also does end up being kind of flat and doesn't need to go on for six minutes. I think the three-minute single version 
of Focus's Hocus Pocus might be my number one, just cutting out the fat. But <laughs> uh, we're listening to the six-minute al- right. album version, so uh, it's my number three. Uh, number two, in contrast, is the song that gets in, makes its point, and gets out, and that's Wawa by the Far East Family Band. Nice. Number one is back to the Legato sisters. Life's gone down low. Nice. That's good. I, I love that's got to be, I mean, Wah Wah has got to be the first sub one minute song in the top five. Sub one minute <laughs> song. I was putting this song on my list and I was like, this is my shooby-doo, right? Like <laughs> yeah. this is the song that should not be anywhere near a top five list, but <laughs> it's, it's going to be for me. So that's there good. you go. Yeah. Cause I mean like my, uh, my top fives for, Pink Floyd and I think even for Genesis. I mean, those are practically double albums <laughs> just in the top five. So it's it's nice to yeah, be able to right. then put a 48-second song in, in a top five too. Uh, but for me, so for my top five, number five, I have uh, Focus is Hocus Pocus. I, I do like it. Yeah, you're right that the, that the album version is probably a touch too long and maybe that's why it's five, but I think it is still a really fun song. Uh, number four for me, I have uh, Los Campesinos y Alviero. Uh, from Arco Iris. And then couple that with number three the big long one ombre from marco iris number two i have okay. i have life's gone down low at number two for me That is a great song. Uh, and number one, Birds Flying to the Cave from Far's Family Band. I just think that, okay, that, that's a good one. that guitar riff for me just is what kept me going. I, that's one that, uh, that that little... That's like one I would be humming yeah. to myself uh, just around the house. So that ended up being my number one pick. Yeah, Birds Flying to the Cave and Campesinos are both in my top 10 too, for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these are good. This is a good, nice uh, kind of grab bag that we've got here. I'm glad we took our little trip around the world uh and in order to recover this will be the kind of mid-season finale we're going to take a little bit of a break as we bank some more episodes uh, but stay tuned make sure you're subscribed we'll be back in a few months until then thank you to all the great musicians we heard from today focus arco iris magma faris family band the jadu sisters thank you all for listening and of course thank you Aaron, for joining me thank you uh, once we do come back we will have an episode about debut albums we've heard a lot of great albums in the 80s with bands that started in the 70s so i wanted to take a listen to their first albums where they all came from so that'll you'll have that to look forward to once we come back Uh, until next time don't forget it's never too late to discover great music that's new to you stay safe